I'm Tim Richard. And I'm Michelle Bolin. And you're listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. More Train, Less Pain. We're back. After a long and eventful hiatus, Michelle and I return to our respective microphones. This time, we're on a very specific season-long quest, a quest to learn and teach everything we can about maintaining and even improving fitness in the context of chronic and persistent pain. During this first episode, we delve into the why behind this season's motif, common misconceptions about chronic and persistent pain, and some actionable insights into treating, training, and managing clients that have musculoskeletal pain that simply refuses to abate. If you're listening in for the first time, welcome. We very much appreciate you being here. And if you've listened previously and gotten value and benefit from the first couple seasons of More Train, Less Pain, I think you're really going to like what we've got in store for you. Let's get to the show. More Train, Less Pain. Welcome, welcome. Season three of the More Train, Less Pain podcast. Tim, we haven't chatted in quite some time. It has been far too long, Michelle. So how you been? Give me some life updates since season two. It has been a wild ride. I mean, I think we stopped recording season two in early 2022. So here we are, probably 18 months after the fact. Um, Things are good. Things are different. I, I live in a different part of Denver. My practice is in an entirely new gym. I'm still treating clinically a couple days a week. Um, consulting with a new technology company that makes makes products for other physical therapy practices. Dog is doing well, uh, trying to climb as much as I can. Um, some other things going on that we'll kind of uh, get into because it'll form the meat and potatoes and the basis of season three. But I would say that's like high level what's going on in my life. What about you? Well, since we stopped ending season two, I think professionally I've been keeping the ball rolling. I'm much more kind of gearing my education towards business, like sales, you know, scaling, things like that. Um, I've become personally obsessed with running now, which is a huge spin for me. We did a little switcheroo there, Michelle. (laughs) We we certainly did. I got bit by the bug when you uh, kind of passed it aside and uh, run a few ultras. I have uh, two more in a few weeks. So that's kind of consuming a lot of my time. And I think when you really enjoy something in life, it makes, it bleeds over to everything else. So like, you know, my training has really set the tone for me to have to like clean up a lot of my priorities outside of that and stay really focused because it does take so much of my time that I was probably not wasting, but just kind of doing a lot of things that for the sake of doing them probably in, in regards to like work. Yeah. I mean, like Dan John talks about like the the most productive years of his training life were when both of his daughters were really young because he mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of time to devote to training. So he had to figure out like, okay, I get to train 30 minutes twice a week. What are the things that I can do to maximize that? And it's like that addition by subtraction concept, right? But with business and life, it's like, what are the things that I'm doing that aren't serving me? Because I know I'm I'm sure I'm going to go for a 30 mile run in the mountains this weekend. Exactly. It's exactly what I've been thinking about all all this afternoon. It's like, I, I plan on going to the White Mountains on Saturday and uh, bringing my That's dog. With me. I'm like, well, what, what do I have to do before then so I can make that happen? Probably write a few training programs. Um, I've probably stepped away from social media a little bit the past two months. Um, and that's, that's been good kind of taking down some thoughts of like an actual direction I want to go into and what's going to be a little bit more valuable. So that's, that's been a new interest of mine as well. Yeah. I've been, I've been missing you on the Instagram. I'm I'm back on as of like three or four weeks ago after a six month hiatus of, of my own. Again, was... a little switcheroo there. <laughs> Indeed. I'll just keep passing back and forth. Perfect. Yeah, but we're back at it. Season three, we got all of our guests scheduled already. Um, Tim and I are going to do a lot of uh, solo episodes. And um, 
kick things off on episode one, we're going to kind of dive into the case for continuing to pursue fitness in the context of training and persistent pain. Uh, so Tim, um, what are we going to define as a problem here? You want to dive into your little story that you had? Yeah, I think before we even kind of set the general tone, it's like I, I kind of want to provide some context because this is when Michelle and I sat down to think about the direction that we wanted to take season three. I think we were really proud about uh, the work that we were able to do with seasons one and two. Um, and I think that that did a really nice job of setting a foundation for kind of some of what we believe in regards to training, in regards to pain, which, you know, as the title of the podcast goes, is kind of like that is the thing that we think about. Um, but for season three, I, I know personally, I wanted to try to experiment with a slightly different format and become a little bit more focused in our approach uh, to give our conversations a little bit more of a narrow lens and give us an opportunity to really dive deeper on one particular thing. And I think within the context of my own training and my own life, there's kind of been like one thing at the forefront for uh, at least the past year and a half, if not the past four or five years. So we briefly go into some story time. Um, I met Michelle way back in 2017, 2018, a long time ago at this point. Uh, I had recently moved to Boston. I had recently started running competitive track again with a, a sub-elite team in the greater Boston area. Um, and pretty much about that same time started to have some pretty gnarly left hip pain. And this is after you know 12 years of struggling to some extent with right hip pain, um, you know, learning to manage that was probably one of the reasons that I became a physical therapist, became interested in strength and conditioning, all of those things. So was no stranger to being in some degree of discomfort and attempting to not train through it, uh, but continue to do stuff while managing the day-to-day -day discomfort that I was feeling. So moved to Boston, started competing, started to have this new agging, ache and pain. Um, and that is when I think I came across some of your stuff on, if I remember correctly, Zach Couple's blog. Perfect. Yeah. Look at that. Writing those and articles days off. <laughs> You got one client anyway. <laughs> and and I, in regards to our relationship, it's like the rest is kind of history. We worked together. I think you were able to see some things with my movement that I wasn't able to see. I would say that we were able to get a good outcome in that the, you know, for the two and a half years I lived in Boston, I was able to continue to train and compete at a fairly high level in track. Um, mm -hmm. To me, that what that was the successful outcome. Like I knew that that being pain-free as nice as that would be, was probably a little bit of a pipe dream or like we would try to go in that direction, but it probably wasn't going to happen. So I think that, you know, you and I both did our job within that, within that time frame. Yeah. Good to hear that. Did something right with my life. <laughs> uh, however, uh, COVID happened, life circumstances changed. And then um, kind of the plan was to move back to Denver and at that point, the left hip started to get like a little bit worse, a little bit worse, a little bit worse. I'd previously gotten a couple surgeries on the right hip, the second of which seemed to be pretty successful in reducing some symptoms. So I kind of thought, okay, uh, you know, the left hip is probably a little bit like the right hip. Let's pursue that same surgery when I'm back in Denver. I have one of the best hip surgeons in the world here. Um, and started to pull back the reins on running a little bit more, like wasn't running competitively anymore would go out into the uh, a nearby field, do some sprints, would take my dog for like a three mile run, like very casual sort of stuff. Ramped up for that surgery. I got a left hip label reconstruction and some bony work done in November of 2020 with the hope that it would work like the right hip surgery did and would spit me out of the place of substantially less pain and kind of like resume some of the cool running things that I was doing. Um, Unfortunately, that that did not happen. So six six or seven months after that surgery, I would say it was kind of back in the exact same place where it was like I had minimal day to day pain, but if I ran or lift heavy, lifted heavy, um, like trap bar deadlifts, zercher squats, what have you, then pain would ramp up, and it 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 had just gotten to the point where the juice wasn't worth a squeeze. Like my ability to push exercises that I wanted to adapt to was not worth the discomfort that I was in. So kind of made that tough decision of, okay, we're going to, we're going to kind of pull back from running until we get this thing more sorted out. We're going to pull back from like 
heavy strength training. Um, and then really was, I was like, okay, we're, we're, we're okay where we currently are. Um, but obviously where we currently are is not where we'd like to be long-term. We will be back after this quick message. The biggest struggles trainers and rehab professionals have with building and scaling their online training programs, attracting remote fitness clients, and maintaining communication is having quality videos that provide exercise technique and coaching instruction. Well, now you can stop searching the internet. You will never find them unless you go to michellebowen-training.com for the best exercise database on the internet. Imagine all of the funny looks your programs get when clients are trying to figure out what an exercise on their training program is instead of having clear instruction. Gain access to over 1,500 exercise videos, coaching tutorials, and hundreds of positional instructional videos to send to your remote clients with the new digital format of the MBT Exercise Database. You will not find a contralateral reach walking lunge, a military crawl designed for posterior expansion, or a frontal plane hip shifting med ball slam on YouTube or anywhere else for that matter. The new database dropped in 2021 and hundreds of fitness and rehab professionals use it to easily build out their online training programs with built-in buttons to insert the videos into personalized training programs or to use videos to send to their rehab patients for at-home homework. If you don't believe me, Dr. Pat Davison said, and I quote, this database is a goldmine for coaches who care about executing movements for athletes that can legitimately impact sports performance and health. So head over to michellebowen-training.com to learn more. And now, back to the show. And that was still pretty okay. Like I started to establish new relationships with physical therapists in the area, tried to kind of like get at this thing from a couple di couple different angles, started to generate a relationship with uh, a mentor of yours, Bill Hartman, who has kind of become a mentor of mine over the past couple of years. Uh, and then again, fast forward to like early 2022, um, had some more life things change, you know, went through a really tough breakup and the hip just kind of continued on this downward trajectory of, okay, now that day-to-day -day nagging pain is more like moderate pain. Now running is completely, you know, off the table. Um, now more and more of my weight room activities seem to be off the table and, you know, as much as I'd like to think that I'm in a better spot physically in the middle of 2023 than I was at the start of 2022, I would say by all objective criteria, I'm not. Like, I, I think that there has been this slow, steady downward trajectory of uh, mobility, of function, of my ability to do things like long hikes, you know, long backcountry ski days. And from a human being level, like that sucks. Like that stuff is not fun to, it's not fun to lose stuff. It's way more fun to gain things. Um, and this isn't, again, I don't, I don't want to be on, on my soapbox here for another like 10 or 15 minutes. Like this isn't about the frustrations of going through a bunch of interventions, getting a surgery, working with a bunch of really smart people and not getting the outcome that I want. I, I don't, I don't find that to be that interesting. Um, I'm very much still pursuing all options. Like I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a couple surgeons. There's a different surgical option that, you know, might be something right now. I'm currently looking at going out and working with Bill Hartman out in Indianapolis for probably like three months sometime early next year. So the interventions at this point are getting a little bit more extreme and a little bit more inconvenient. Um, but in the context of all this, it's like, I'm still a person and I'm still an athlete. So we have this pain thing, like we have, you know, unknown pathology and we have an unclear etiology of, of what's even causing these symptoms. Um, but I still need to function day to day and week to week. And a big part of that for me, a big part of my mental health, a big part of my identity has been training and finding physical outlets that I can improve upon, that I can kind of throw myself into, that I can enjoy. 
And so all this is by way of saying the topic for season three of More Train, Less Pain, one that's near and dear to my heart is how do we as athletes, we as coaches, we as therapists construct these training programs, construct a physical existence for those that are in chronic or persistent pain that may or may not have resolution? What do we do to play in this uncomfortable gray area of, okay, you hurt, now what? Knowing that we don't have this silver bullet that's going to magically fix people, what can we do to improve fitness, improve well-being, maybe reduce pain? Um, but it's it, that's sort of the question I've been asking myself for you know o- over a year, and I think about with a lot of the patients that I manage because you know like attracts like. Like I, I tend to attract a lot of people that have had failed hip surgeries at this point um, and like to think that I've learned a thing or two, but I still want to explore this concept with you because I've you know, always valued your opinion as well as with some of the guests that we have on the docket for season three. Yeah. The, your story is, is a difficult one because, you know, I, um, I try to relate, but I, I can't because I've never been in that type of chronic pain, but you exploring the question of like, what would happen and if, your pain never improves, like then what, right? And that that's kind of like where you're headed down. And maybe a lot of us interact with our clients that way. Um, I'm going to kind of dive into a second of like things that I've kind of thought about throughout my career in relation to pain. But at some point, we do have to touch on that question. We, I think some people have this pain and their approach to it almost turns into a pathology in and of itself because they let it completely control them and they get consumed with it without kind of even thinking about the question, like, you know, what if your pain doesn't improve at all, no matter what you do, like, then what, how do you, how do we move on with our lives or, um, you know, work on this, you know, work on fitness, work on like other things that we can do. Um, the thing I I like, yeah. No, no, I was just going to say, like, based on that, I I think, again, to draw on some themes from earlier seasons, we talk a lot about false dichotomies in the fitness and rehab industries. So I think that this is a really good example of a very common false dichotomy that at least I see in my practice, where it's like people in pain either accept that they are in pain and they're like, I'm going to train, you know, screw it. Let's just see what happens. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, I'm in pain, full stop. We're not doing anything until this gets sussed out. And I think that we need to allow space you know, as an industry for people to have some degree of pain and mm-hmm. to continue to train in a way that respects that, but that to your point can still push some other things in really positive directions. Yeah. And we're going to definitely dive into that dichotomy as well, but yeah, I totally agree with you. And the thing that you kind of were talking about, and I've had conversations with other clients of, you know, as we go into like the medical field, like, oh, my shoulder hurts, I'm going to an orthopedic surgeon. Like, what are they going to want to do to you? Says it right there. They're probably going to want to inject you or cut you open. Okay, maybe we can do some due diligence and cross some things off the list before we get to that point that will change everything. Um, And that's not always the case for everyone, but you have definitely done that. And I think you've explored a lot of options. And this kind of dives into maybe the first topic of, what I have kind of seen in relation to this over the course of maybe trainers, what struggles have they run into and um, what kind of things that they, they deal with, with their clients in terms of, I feel like we, of course, like the problem with like social media, just like everything else, we see people do things and then we kind of get a little self-conscious of like, well, why can't I solve these problems or we just assumed or get paranoid in some way that like we're not good enough. And this person apparently can solve all the pain in the world, even all these complex situations, which we both have experienced these people that we look up to and think that they're that type of person and they themselves, you know, have issues. They can't solve every problem. I think we need to really keep that in perspective because It might not have anything to do with you or your problem solving skills. It's just a very complex issue. And we have to put that in its place. Yeah, I I think um, a couple of things come to mind. I I remember 
literally probably my first weekend of physical therapy school. And at this point, like my right hip had hurt for four or five years. Like I, I ran all of college track with right hip pain. Um, I remember hanging out with, I was a first year and it was a group of third years. And uh, the topic of, I think my hip came up and they were like, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And I was like, yeah, I've tried all that stuff. And I just like, I, I think we had had a couple drinks. Apparently I was uh, open to being vulnerable, but I'm like, sometimes I just feel like, what the hell am I doing learning how to fix people if I can't fix me? Mm. And I think that there's, again, it's like, I'm not saying, you know, go walk the path that I've walked. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but there's immense power in going through that because then you come out the other side. And you realize like none of these people that we think are have it all together, have all the answers, yeah. right? And we, you and I together know some brilliant, brilliant people in the, in the rehab space and in the fitness space. And it's like, no one has the answer. No one is the wizard that is going to get a specific outcome 100% of the time. And the second you really understand that, it sort of becomes liberating. It's like, oh, I don't have to be 100% perfect. I just have to be better than what a patient or client could do for themselves and have a process that lets me improve upon my skill and my craft over time. And I, I again, I think that's just a much more, uh, it's a much more accurate place to be, but it's also a much more emotionally healthy place to be. Yeah, for sure. And I think what you and I kind of like doing, you, you've probably had a few more experiences than I of, you know, getting coached by other people. And yes, it is to get bounce ideas and maybe an educational aspect, but I also like seeing how other people do things. And since I've gotten into ultra running again, I have not experienced chronic pain, but of course the demands of what I'm putting my body through have kind of led to maybe some, you know, symptoms. And I've gone to a few people and it's more so to get an, another person's eye right? Like I can try to problem solve all by myself, but there's probably a lot of um, things that I don't know or other people would see. And I know you would agree with that. And uh, one, one person that I went to go see, I just, I just did not like my experience. And um, they said something to me in regards to, well, basically implying like, why can't you kind of do this? And I was just like, well, I would like to have other people's experiences and knowledge. And I think that's a valuable thing. And let's just say I never went back to them. Um, (laughs) But another person, my good friend who I'm going to have on this season, Dan Sanzo, I respect the hell out of him because he never pretends to have the answers. He's not afraid of saying, I don't know, but he see, he says, let's put our hands on you. Let's see what like your structure is showing me and your movements are showing me. Try some things and see if it makes some changes. And I have never had better results than working with him. And, um, just his approach towards things. And, you know, I I get, like I said, I don't have chronic issues. If I go for like a very demanding output, yeah, I'll have some soreness and things. And then there's a few exercises, positional exercises I do, which will uh, alleviate the problem. Um, So it's nothing persistent. Um, But I love hearing what other people have to say and seeing their process and they see things that I don't. I think it's a very valuable experience. For sure. And I mean, I think that, again, it's like it's like the silver lining of a lot of this stuff of realizing that the more fitness professionals and rehab professionals you talk to, very rarely does a person have it all figured out, either professionally or personally. I mean, again, like Bill Hartman kind of mentored both of us at this point, perfect example, like, like hip stuff for years, like, you know, has kind of like made a lot of mistakes that have led him to the point that he's at. And I think he would readily say like the point that he's at is not the end point. Like it's this continual evolution of understanding of how, you know, how the body works, how we recapture motion, what exercises are, you know, maybe not great ideas for certain types of people with certain types of movement presentations. So I think that it can be tricky because when you start to when you start to do away with a lot of the things that are like solidly held notions right like i'm not going to train if i'm in pain 
Like I'm not like if something hurts, I'm just not going to do it. Like when you start to uh, remove these, everything gets a little bit more gray, a little bit more wishy-washy, but that's actually a useful place to be. And you need some kind of a balance between the ability to flow and having these hard stops of like, okay, if a person did a thing and they're like, now they can't walk later that day and their pain is ratcheted up like for the next three days, that's a hard stop, at least for that exercise at this point mm-hmm. in time. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking to explore this season. What, what I'm like really you know looking forward to is sort of, you know, what are these rules? What are the lessons that you and I have learned that our guests have learned? What can we take in order to better serve the people that we're trying to serve, navigate this somewhat intractable, very difficult problem? Yeah. And I think as, you know, a young trainer, I didn't think that was my problem to solve. You know, I, I dealt with athletes a lot and nagging pain issues. Yeah. We'll change things up and whatever. But then when I started learning biomechanics, I went to a lot of PRI courses and the environments that I was in, it kind of was implied that that is my problem to solve. And I think that's when I probably went down some holes where it stopped looking like fitness. And I, this is something that I've kind of battled on my own. A client will come in and say, Hey, my shoulder's really bothering me today. Of course, they are incapable of texting me in advance. And they have to, have to say that when they walk in. And it and I think I would be like, okay, we need to stop everything, pause, and just kind of focus on like restoring some feeling in that shoulder, like positive feeling, get rid of some pain, and then we can move on. And now I'm probably more in the camp where like, I want to listen to that person. And maybe they're not asking me to solve their problem. I think my spouse says this to me all the time. Like, (laughs) I'm not not asking you to solve the problem. I just want to tell you and communicate, right? Because I immediately rush in to try to solve it. And it's like, okay, we're just, we're going to continue on what we had planned today, Um, We may have to make some small changes here and there, but just because you're experiencing um, some pain doesn't mean we need to stop in the pursuit of fitness and training. And I I like this, the line I've heard of, uh, it's a dichotomy to be managed and not a problem to be solved. Um, And I think that's maybe a promise that we overstate a lot with our clients in terms of, I will solve this problem for you. Well, it's actually just something that we need to manage um, in the pursuit of uh, our goals and, you know, um, the things that we're doing and you're doing outside of, of training. Um, that that's a big one in regards to especially my career working with athletes and then going to the general fitness realm as you've kind of alluded to athletes almost expect pain and consider it as part of the process and those may be types of people you have to pull them back just a little bit and it's almost a polar opposite in terms of general population clients where there is a hard stop with pain And it's an immediate rest and stop moving where it's like, okay, like, you know, one of my clients will call me, hey, you know, my hips really bothering me today. Hey, you know, come on in, like we can still do stuff. And it doesn't have to be like a day off or a cancel. Um, It's something we can definitely manage throughout things. Yeah, I think that um, pain is not so pain as a indicator of like tissue damage or pain as some kind of diagnostic criteria is just not especially useful. Like it's not this whole like, oh, where is your pain? Now I know what's wrong with you. It's like, I I think that couldn't be further from what's actually happening within the body. Something, and I stole this from originally Mike Camperini and now Bill Hartman, but like they are really, because I've I've observed some of, you know, their work, they're really quick to tell people they're not directly treating their pain. It's like their interventions are designed to improve movement options and maybe create more space around the area that has pain. And maybe that makes the thing not have pain or have less pain. Because I think that it's people are really reactive to pain. I would I would argue it's like probably the single strongest emotion that generates action from people. It's mm-hmm. like I feel this negative thing, psychological or or you know physical, and like please take this away. I don't want to feel this anymore. So for me, it's like I always do that twenty five minute consult with new patients where I'm like, okay, but we need to get our heads together on this. That I see a lot of movement impairments that we're going to work really hard to remediate. 
We're going to construct hypotheses based on movement, and we're going to test those. And I think we have a good shot at improving those. And those potentially will make you more comfortable, decrease your pain. But just understand that there's no guarantees and there's not a one-to-one -one relationship between what your body can and can't do and the amount of pain that you're in. And that's a huge language and communication skill realm that people have to get into because a lot of people want answers. They want a diagnosis. They want to apply a reasoning for it. For example, like I remember maybe a couple of years ago, I had this lady come in on a Friday and say, oh, my, my shoulder is really bothering me. I'm like, oh, when did it start hurting? Oh, this morning. It was, it was from those med ball slams we did the last time I, we saw it. And I was like, well, that was on Monday and it just started hurting this morning. And it's like, okay, she needed to say one, it was probably my, my fault or two, like it was this exact thing that she did and she needs to know that. And it's the same thing with, in terms of interventions and things like that. It's like, we have to be careful about like the promises that we're making to make sure that there's not a mismatch there. I also think kind of to go back to something that you were talking about earlier, this notion of, I think the, the, the case that you gave was a client shows up with shoulder pain and it's like, scrap the whole day. Yeah. It's like, hold the butt. Like we're not doing anything until we get this resolved. I think, um, again, not to, not to go into my own stuff too much, but I, I've gotten somewhat into meditation over the past year. Um, and one thing that I think meditation does a really nice job of teaching you is that you can note a particular thought or feeling without like diving headfirst into it. Like you can allow space for something in your mind without being consumed and like pulled off track. So it's mm -hmm. this notion in training, at least of like concomitant goals versus hard interruptions. So that person shows up, Hey, my shoulder hurts. I'm not sure if I can do anything today. It's like, make them aware of all the things they can do. Don't ignore the fact that their shoulder hurts. Again, it, that would be the false dichotomy. Like either we're training through this pain or we're hard stop. It's like, no, I, I would like your shoulder to feel a little bit better. I don't know how much control I have over that, but we could try some stuff. But 80% of your program as written today is like lower body strength and work capacity and energy system stuff. So like, let's still do that. Like we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater just because this thing doesn't feel so good on this day. We're also not going to ignore the fact that you're bringing this information to me. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And I think these are skills that young professionals um, maybe don't quite have yet. I mean, I definitely didn't have them when I was a young coach in terms of being able to think on your feet when someone walks in and you have a plan. I think as a young coach, I was very dependent on the plan that I had in front of me. So if anything kind of threw me off, it was a very difficult thing for me. Um but now I'm much more comfortable. I'm not, I'm kind of like, Hey, like, let's see what we have going on today. And then we kind of create a plan as we go. I'm much more comfortable with that, but that comes over time. And yeah, you have to balance being able to make changes and being able to think about adjustments, regressions, whatever, especially in a group setting where there's more people involved and just not, you know, throwing everything out when, when there's something that's changing from your plans. This season of more train, less pain is brought to you by my remote fitness programming service. We've been talking a lot about navigating the minefield that is attempting to train and improve fitness while dealing with persistent pain. If you feel like this directly applies to you, it can be daunting to attempt to construct your own workouts and long-term programs. Personally, one of the best decisions I ever made was to outsource that process and hire a coach. Someone who's external to the day-to-day -day reality of being in my body and my brain that can take my preferences, feedback, and athletic goals and coalesce them into a stable, doable fitness program that I can execute. It's an honor to serve in that role for my clients and my athletes. Stop banging your head against the proverbial wall and spinning your wheels changing workouts every week. Start investing in a long-term process to discover what your body is capable of and the long-term progress that you can make. Reach out via the contact tab on timrichart.com to learn more. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I th and I think that's that, That's so fascinating to me. Uh, there was I shared this on my story, I don't know, like a 
maybe two or three weeks ago, but um, Joel Smith, Just Fly Sports Performance, had someone on and and all they were, I know this is going to be really helpful for our listeners, but um, all they were talking about was closed loop training versus open loop training. So this concept of like, how, how far in advance do you pre-plan? Like how much detail do you plan individual training sessions with? And then how far in advance do you plan for? And how rigid is that? Because it was like the, ex- the extreme example they gave would be like, military or powerlifters where it's like or even like marathon prep maybe ultra marathon prep where it's like you have this long-term goal so the tendency is like okay i'm going to micromanage the the hell out of this because i know that i need to be here in 12 weeks or 16 weeks and then the like on the far other extreme is like a person shows up and it's like all right what are we working on today like because each of those has a strength right it's like if you're pure closed loop thinking closed loop training you are going to stay more on task. And I think you'd, you'd think that you'd have a higher likelihood of reaching that desired endpoint. Open loop, you seem like you're very receptive to what a client or patient is bringing in on that day. And I think the upshot is like, we kind of need both. We need to not lose sight of the goal, but also have enough space and creativity and flexibility and amoeba-like nature of a program that we can, you know, make something that's going to make sense for that person on that day, but also nudge them further towards this goal that they've, you know, said is really important to them. Yes, I I agree with that. I think as a young strength coach, um, I worked with a lot of group settings and I probably wasn't very confident being in a group of people. So in order to gain control of the chaos that I felt kind of around me is I planned. So there was a very closed loop of like what I was going to be doing, what I wanted to do over the course of my collegiate career, I became much more flexible and much more open loop in terms of being able to be adaptable through that plan, but there always was like a hard plan because you you needed to plan ahead in those types of situations. Um, And now with general clients, I think I'm much more open loop because there's almost always something. And again, I feel like I'm getting better at knowing when to keep pushing and listen to them and say, I I hear you. I understand. Here's what's going to happen. Um, here's what we're going to do today um, versus just letting what they say to me completely control, um, you know, our, our goals moving forward. And I, I, I misspoke by the way, I just looked it up while you were talking, but it's, it's episode 370. It's with someone named Jamie Smith. Um, and the terms that they use were top down or bottom up. So top down being that like 12 week out, we're going to micromanage the heck out of everything. Bottom up being like, let's just put something on a whiteboard. And I think, I mean, to go with the the point that you just made, it's like that exists in physical therapy as well. I think young physical therapists want, they want protocols. They want control, right? They want to know like, okay, you're six weeks post-op ACL. We're doing these things. And all I really have to worry about is like, if you're doing them correctly and if you like me and if you're having a good time and if you're going to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality, and I've gone too far in the other direction. I think I did this like even a year or two ago. Apologies to all my patients that work with me then, but I almost intentionally like, didn't even open that patient's file until I saw them in the waiting room. Cause I just wanted, I wanted to be present with that interaction. I wanted the first few sentences that they said to me to dictate what I would plan for that day. And now it's kind of a mix of both where it's like at the end of the session, I put all my thoughts down as to what would be the logical steps for next session. And that's as much pre-planning as I do. And if they bring in something then it's like, okay, do I deviate from that plan? Do I try to make the two mix? Do I say, yeah, that's not really a big deal. We're going to like continue to, and that is, I think that is, you know, where the art comes in with rehab much in the same way as, as where the art comes in with, like you said, training, you know, gen pop fitness. Yeah, of course, in an ideal situation, I would love to just get a little bit of advanced notice because I, I have what we're going to be doing the next session. But I can start thinking about maybe small minor adjustments or an emphasis towards one variable versus the other in consideration for that. Um, But yeah, being able to adapt. Um, By the way, I can get down with the terminology of closed and open looped in terms of that. I'm going to state those terms from now on moving forward. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sure we're, I'm sure I'm pilfering something from someone. I'm sure those terms mean, mean something. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it's a perfect description of what we're talking about here. Yeah, perfect. And I think all these things that we have to constantly consider and what's the best. And I feel like, again, I've kind of alluded towards like swinging back and forth with these two um, sides of things and always not knowing exactly if I'm doing the right thing. But in terms of my, my clients, I feel like I've gotten better results with the frequency. Um, oh, your dog just came in the background. How cute. The frequency of being able to push a little bit more forward, being able to say, I'm listening to you, but being careful about my communication strategies in regards to not trying to solve all of their problems and listening, but not coddling. Um, And then just trying to really focus a message towards like my brand, like what I do and um, what they can expect. I think those skills have probably like massively improved with me in the past two years and need to probably improve a lot more. I think they, I mean, again, it's, we've talked about this before, but it's like young coaches want it to be about um, specifically how to coach exercises, specifically how to program. And it becomes so much more about like kind of how do you project manage a person? Like how do you take everything that they've ever told you and like rank order the relative importance of all of these things and then guide them in a way that like in a healthy, sustainable, long-term way actually gets them closer to what the thing is. Because the amount of times I talk to so many patients that like want to overdo it with, it's like, I'll, you know, I'll give them like a 10 minute mobility program. They're like, cool. Can I do this like four times a day? I'm like, no, like be a, <laughs> be a normal human being. Like, like, I'm glad that you find value in it, but I want you to allow space for the everything else in your life that makes you a human being. We're not going to go, you know, way down the deep end with this. Yeah. It's, especially when I have someone who's I've alluded to, it's kind of a bit of a pathology to me, the almost hyper obsession with the issue at hand, whereas I really try to be careful with with what I say in regards to to those people and getting better, obviously, if it's a a good fit for me and being able to kind of like refer away um, because I, I don't know if those people want their problem to be solved sometimes. But yeah, these are completely. These are all very complicated issues. And um, even just explore getting down to the nitty gritty in terms of like specific training modalities that have some some type of adaptive side that kind of help us deal with clients who are battling these things is something that we're going to dive into over the course of the season three. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you that's a, a good teaser for, I, I mean, this is like, I think one of the most useful Pat Davidson concepts, but it's like, if we're going to, if we're going to train something in the gym, we want that thing to be able to be trained. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things in the gym or wherever you're training that are hard, but just because something is hard doesn't mean that it's training. Like when we train something, we want that attribute to actually improve longitudinally. And the more we can do that, the more I think of something as having more, like adaptive upside. Good example of this would be like um, like a leg press, pretty high adaptive, adaptive upside. If you've never done it before, you can take it a pretty long way uh, mm-hmm. with relatively low cost. Whereas something like, oh, I don't know, an inverted kettlebell Turkish getup is really hard to do. And it's really hard to get better at. And it doesn't seem to carry over into anything else. So just because it's really, really hard to do, which is cool, I like hard things, doesn't mean it's necessarily worth our time to merit its inclusion in the training program. There you go. Pat's can we uh, can we end with a quote that I kind of, it's been rattling around in my brain for a while? Can't wait. And this is gonna like, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm quoting myself here, but I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure I heard this somewhere else but uh you don't get to opt out of a physical existence not doing anything physically is a choice like it it is doing something physical and i think that with me with my clients this just continues to come to mind of like okay like for for me personally like i'm meeting with some surgeons but the the soonest that i'm probably going to have a surgery is like a year out so 
am I just supposed to kind of like hang out for a year? Like, do I just kick it on my couch and I don't know, like cuddle with my dog? Like, no, like I, I, I have stuff that I can and should and will do. And I think the construction of what that stuff is, the dosage of that stuff, that ensures that you and me have jobs because those are hard problems to solve for people. I think the biggest thing for me when you say that is showing people a different way. Because I think a lot of people think, you know, exercise is one thing, uh, like squatting and benching and things like that, and showing people that they can do so many other things, even though they may have knee pain that prevents them from squatting. Well, you can still have a good fitness foundation and habit. And again, you can still continue to physically exist. There's just different options and different ways to do it. You just kind of have to make that adjustment adjustment, and be shown something that you may not just even know exists. I, I, it's it's so funny you bring that up. You know, a lot of people that seek me out for like remote program design, like fitness program design are runners, like typically runners with like a pretty extensive injury history. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the hidden curriculum for me is always like, I want to get them to love a thing or at least somewhat enjoy doing a thing that isn't running. Like I want them to have other outlets that they can go to if running ever goes away. Because I mean, the two things that come to mind, like running and, and lifting really heavy are like the very fickle things that will just go away at a moment's notice and might be really hard to get back to. But I think some of the other things that we're going to discuss, like the body weight strength training, um, the, I mean, we're not probably not going to get much into like yoga and Pilates, but things in that realm, climbing for me, it's like these things might be more durable, might have a little bit more adaptive upside, might give a, a person another means to explore their physical self and uh, a way to experience their body, not just as something that is in pain, not just as something that is limiting them or preventing them from doing, you know, squatting or running. No, I, yes, exactly. I absolutely love that. And I think that's why a lot of people um, look at my database because they see exercises they didn't even know like <laughs> existed and and find it useful for those types of things. Something I've kind of been like messing around with a little bit, and I haven't implemented this, but getting to a point with like a client where if I've had someone for a year or two, whatever that timeline may be, getting them to sign up for something that they've never done before and working towards like that goal of completing it. And one, it exposes them to something they probably didn't know or, and it shows them what they're capable of. And it shows them like, I have to make changes in order to like physically complete this. And I think all that combined things and in some sort of, doesn't have to be like competitive challenge, but I think that would be like so useful, especially people who need focus in regards to maybe having some sort of like persistent pain. Yeah. I think, uh, shout out my own mental health therapist, Megan Rice. She's great. Uh, Better Lives Building Tribes on Instagram. But she talks about, because she works with a ton of people, talks about like one of the across the board habits of healthy, well-adjusted people is their ability to have their 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 concept of identity, their concept of self be a little bit malleable over time. So I think what comes to mind when you bring that stuff up is like, if someone's just been a runner for 10 years, it's like, can they take on a new physical challenge? Can they soften that identity of a runner and realize, and it's one thing if they become like a runner to a cyclist, like whatever, that's like, that's still useful. Runner to climber, like one thing to one thing. But I think the real, again, I go back to like this hidden curriculum, the the real power here is learning that like you can leave this thing that was everything to you and be a new thing and that's fine. And then you could leave that thing and become something different. And that's also fine. And it's like you're constructing this identity that's that's so much less brittle because it's so much less dependent on like one thing that might leave. And for me, I mean, that that has been like like climbing is the thing that I do for performance now. I have never been a better climber in my life than I am right now. And that's, you know, in the context of this left hip hurting all the time. So it's like you can still establish new identities. But for me, the challenge is like, okay, well, now I don't want to just put all my eggs in that climber basket. Like, I want to be someone that does a variety of things. If I really mm-hmm. fall in love, my body feels good enough, 
for a little while, I might focus on something. But how do we get people to have that more broad, diverse array of movement experiences they can draw upon? Yeah, I saw that a lot in the people who I played college soccer with. Like as soon as college soccer was over, like their physical fitness was basically over. It's because the only thing that they knew how to do was basically play soccer, right? And I saw that a lot in the clean setting when I was a strength conditioning coach. Their identities were so embedded at being like a student athlete when the athlete thing was done. A lot of kids um, had to seek out like help in, in regards to who they are as a person and what do they do with all that time and, you know, what is fitness and exercise to them beyond, you know, collegiate level athletics. Yeah, for sure. I, I saw the same thing with people I ran with in college. Yeah. I know, I know we're getting short on time here, but uh, closing, closing thoughts as we wrap up. I'm very excited to explore a very, very streamlined theme this season and bringing on a bunch of guests who we can um, kind of chat about different things in regard to this and really exploring and finding things that we can improve on as therapists and coaches so that we can formulate and communicate with our clients better in regards to this. Cause we, we all have to deal with it. It's like going to the bathroom. Everyone does. It. We don't need to be <laughs> afraid about talking about it. You know, you know, so hopefully season three will, will kind of help that. Yeah, I, I very much like that. And I, I, you know, I appreciate you indulging me in my somewhat self-serving topic selection for this season, but I'm hoping that we can construct something here that is uh, valuable to our listeners and also somewhat durable. Like I, I, I would like people to be able a couple of years in the future to go back and, and um, learn something that they find useful to their lives. So excited to walk this path with you. All right. Awesome. Well, this episode one, check it off and uh, hang around and stick around with us for season three of More Train, Less Pain. Thanks for listening, guys. If you're enjoying what Michelle and I are putting together here, we'd appreciate it if you could leave a review on your pod player of choice. Reviews help us climb the rankings, which improves our ability to help more coaches and therapists continue to push our industry and knowledge base forward. The intro and outro music for More Train, Less Pain was produced by Jacob Azurdia. You can find out more about his music by visiting his Instagram page, J underscore Z-U-R-D-I-A. Thanks for listening. More Train, Less Pain.